Yes, good morning, everybody. Um, as Jane said, my name is Gavin. I'm married to Lucinda, who's training for vicaring at the moment, and she is in a different church nowadays as she's training. I'm, uh, we normally live down the road on St Barnabas Road, but we're having our house done up in a long, tortuous procedure. But we'll get there in the end. Um, so thank you so much, Jane. It's great to be here. At, I've never, I haven't been to the newly revamped nine o'clock with lots of people. It's wonderful. Um, so yes, as Jane said, we're in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 17. I'm not sure if it'll come on the screen. Yes, it will. Magic, thank you. Uh, so Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 17. The birth of John the Baptist foretold. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of the incense, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient of the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I wonder how you feel at the beginning of Advent, at the prospect of the retelling of these Christmas stories over the next few weeks. I wonder if sometimes we can feel jaded. If you get to my old ripe age of 52, to have these stories read and presented to us once again, the songs sung, the candles lit, the nativity scenes played out in primary schools across the country, and the excellent brass band next week. We'll see. Um, we are tired at the end of this year, aren't we? Things aren't quite working out as we hoped. And to re-engage with these stories of miraculous births might feel difficult when we ourselves can't find the usual peace which sometimes we find glimpses of at Christmas time. 
However, this morning, I would like to encourage us to embrace the retelling. In fact, more than that, I would like to emphasise how crucial it is that we engage wholeheartedly with the narrative as Christians this Advent. So here we have Elizabeth and Zechariah who have unimpeachable Jewish breeding and living great godly lives. Yet the one thing that, which their culture expected of them to be fruitful did not happen for them. Zechariah's turn came to serve in the temple, which given that apparently there were 20,000 of his kind, meant that there was a very slim chance of that happening and him being there in the first place. And yet he encountered a godly apparition, which told him of God's plans for them as a couple. The angel goes on to set out the nature of that provision in the form of John and the role he was to play in bringing God's people back towards him in order to make the way for Jesus. From our distance, John sounds amazing, doesn't he? Filled with the Holy Spirit before he's born, never to drink alcohol. He sounds like the perfect long-for son. So I wonder... At that point, how Elizabeth and Zechariah expected their son to turn out. I reckon they expected him to be like to be one of the willing sorry, one of the leading priests of the day, faithfully serving like his dad. What they may not have truly understood was John's role as a prophet, and that was to be at odds with all those around him, like all prophets are. His life takes a turn which they may not have been expecting. Picture the scene. It's about 20 years later. And Elizabeth's friend, Esther, pops around for a cup of tea or whatever they drank. How's your John doing nowadays? Esther asks. Oh, he's fine, thank you. Has he settled down somewhere, found himself someone nice? Well, not exactly. So where's he living? In the wilderness. Oh, is he able to look after himself out there? Are you taking him meals? Well, he gets by. His diet's a bit odd. He's mainly insectian nowadays, but he's okay. So what does he do all day? Well, he mainly shouts at people to repent and then dunks them in the river. Ooh. At least he's keeping busy then. I reckon even Elizabeth might have wondered what on earth was going on and whether John's life was going to turn out as she expected. She'll have had to remind herself of the miraculous nature of his birth in order to reassure herself that her son's life in path in life was what she expected. We always have the benefit of reading the biblical characters' lives with the great arc of the Bible in front of us, don't we? We know how the story fits together, and especially in these crucial events at the beginning of the Gospels, we can be reassured by our knowledge of God's plan at work. So how is it in our lives at present? Do we feel that reassurance of God's provision and plan this morning? While planning this talk this morning, 
I don't know about you, I've got a whole pile of books on my bedside table and a number get forgotten and left at the bottom. But I, came, I picked up this little book. It's called Remember by Richard Gamble. If you haven't heard of him, he's the former chaplain of Leicester City Football Club who's been inspired to build a colossal wall of answered prayer on the outskirts of Birmingham. Look it up. His answer in this book is simple. We as a culture have forgotten that God answers prayer. Once we forget that God answers prayer, then this leads to loss of thankfulness because we've forgotten what we have to be thankful for. He tells the tale of an encounter he had with a junior doctor at church, tearfully telling him that God had never answered a prayer for her. He says, Privately, I wondered why she would bother coming to church to engage with a God who never answers. But as I took the time to talk to this young woman and listen to her life, an interesting thing happened. Sensitively, I asked her what things she had prayed for in the past. I asked how she had prayed for them. And then I asked her what happened. She recalled her experiences, her journey, the challenges of university life, and the pressures of being a junior doctor. Piece by piece, she was able to remember the things she had called on God for. And then she started to see that, in fact, he had answered every cry her heart had uttered. She had just never taken the time to really think about it. It was an amazing thing to witness. Somehow, the pressures of life, the speed of circumstances, and continual demand on her time had prevented her from recognising what had happened along the way. Forgetting God's work in her life had caused her despair and discouragement as she thought God had forgotten her. But the simple act of remembering brought her joy and hope. So Richard Gamble in the book, he then goes on to describe how forgetfulness leads to taking God for granted. As we see in the Israelites' attitude, when even though the Lord provides for them in the desert, they're still grumbling. Then the progression moves on to fear, such as Elijah, who days after the miraculous encounter with the prophets of Baal, he is then cowering for his life and wanting to give up. The further we are from thankfulness for what the Lord has done in our life, then the more likely we are to move on to the next stage, which is pride in ourselves for what we have achieved. Richard Gamble reminds us in the book about the story of the miracle of Dunkirk during the Second World War and the rescue off the beaches of the British Army men who were stranded on the beaches. The whole of the British force was surrounded, pressed up against the French coast, and King George VI called for a national day of prayer. Later that day, Hitler made the bizarre decision to pause his troops 10 miles out, perhaps stemming from overconfidence. And two days later, on Sunday the 26th of May 1940, the whole nation gathered in its church buildings to pray for the safe rescue of its forces. From then, the events of the next few days have more than their own share of unlikeliness. A storm rages over the continent, which keeps the Luftwaffe grounded, 
while the English Channel, strangely, is as still as a mill pond with fog overhead. Then hundreds of little ships and boats respond to the call to make the trip across. Then on the 9th of June, 1940, the nation returned to its church buildings to give thanks for this great miracle. Churchill had been advised that they'd be lucky to rescue 30,000 men, but in the end, 10 times that number were brought safely back to Britain. However, here we are 80 years later, and the divine aspects of this story are completely lost to us as a nation. When films are made and books are written, this whole crucial aspect of the story doesn't get a mention. And our principal emotion when reflecting on Dunkirk is pride that as a nation, we are able to fend off the Germans. So rather than this sermon carry on as a book review, I return to the story in front of us. And I've maintained that despite the fact that Elizabeth and Zechariah have been held up as great examples to us of faithful, righteous servants of God, even they must have struggled at times to have remembered and celebrated what God has done in their lives. There must have been moments for Elizabeth as a mother when she wondered what on earth her son was doing and may well have doubted his behaviour. Both her and Zechariah would then have been consoled by the remembering the miracle that had taken place in their lives, their thankfulness for it, and the reassurance that this brought that God does have a plan for them as a family. Towards the end of this chapter, we read the whole hymn of thankfulness from Zechariah about the provision of John and what he represents to them as a people. To this day, the Jewish culture preserves and promotes a spirit of storytelling which celebrates what God has done for them. And this is epitomized by Zechariah and Elizabeth. So here we are in December 2021, being reminded of this Advent and Christmas narrative once again. More than ever, we need to be reminded that God has a plan. When so much has been disrupted and is still being disrupted, we should eagerly hear the stories once again in order to remain thankful and hopeful of a God who brings transformation. Our repentance, in order to make way for Jesus this Christmas, should be saying sorry for allowing ourselves to forget the good things he has done for us individually and corporately. Our forgetfulness has meant that we have just taken God for granted, leading to fear and ultimately pride in ourselves that somehow we can work through our lives without him. So as we close, I'd just like to pray with us um, a short prayer of repentance, if that's okay. So let us pray. Lord, we are sorry that we have forgotten the wonderful things you have done for us in our lives. As we walk through this Advent tide, may we revel in the narrative and enjoy the approach of hope through Christ. May we also remind ourselves of our own God story and give thanks for your great faithfulness. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.